Pages of Pim Better Podcast. Greetings, Voyagers. Welcome to the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. This is episode number 212. Well, Les and I are here in Louisville, Kentucky. And today was all about food. My guest for today's episode is Chad Cooley. He is the owner over at Mama's Mustard, Pickles, and Barbecue. Now, I didn't realize how much of a food city Louisville is, and it is a food city. And there's no one, you know, in my estimation that knows more about the food scene in the city than Chad. This conversation came together quickly. I reach out to a lot of people in the places that I go to, and the turnaround on this was, was real quick. I think Chad wrote back to me, Sunday, today is later in the day, Monday, and it just came together. He knows a lot about barbecue, and he's a really, really sweet guy. We feasted. Holy crap, we feasted. We had a a sampling of everything. And first of all, so, so, so good. Everything with the smoky flavor. But I think part of what made it good was kind of how simple everything was. No fuss, not slathered in sauces, just really good quality barbecue and top-notch bourbons. And Chad treated us so, so well. And this is the kind of thing to me that happens only when traveling in that I think he sort of recognized like a kinship amongst travelers because he's traveled around the States himself. He said he was bumming around California a while. And so after we ate, it was like, hey, you want to go check out the city? And took us on this like driving tour of all these places. So many incredible homes here in Louisville. And we drove through that and some parks. And we ended up at a brewery. I think it's Gravely, Gravely. Really, really great beers there. It's an exciting city. It seems like a place that is on the cusp of a boom where people making good quality stuff are doing just that. And Chad is one of those people. Really excited that we got to know him. The barbecue is delicious. And I think now we have a lifelong friend and fellow Voyager. Go to the show notes for this episode And you will find a link to his restaurant, uh, the website itself, and then Instagram. So follow along with the cool things that they're doing. And if you're here in Louisville, this needs to be like a first day stop. Incredible stuff. Also in the show notes for this episode, there will be a link to my Patreon account. That is patreon.com slash the voyages of Tim Vetter. You get some cool kickbacks and you help to keep this podcast going. All right, we got a whole bunch of stuff planned here in Kentucky. So expect, hopefully, some rapid fire episodes coming out. But for now, enjoy this conversation with Chad Cooley.
Well, um, I'm happy that uh, you know to be your first podcast. Thank you for oh, yeah. for trusting me here. <laughs> what fun! And all, seriously, thank you. I mean, this space is incredible, and the food was was really really good. So thank you. Thank you. Um, actually, we were thinking about this earlier. It is Monday, and we're here. And it seems like Mondays in Louisville, everything is closed. Is that a is there a reason for that? No. And not everything's closed on Mondays. There's a few restaurants that are. Generally speaking, I'm not sure where you were that things were closed. Downtown is still a little bit closed up uh, from from all the demonstrations with uh, uh, Anna Taylor uh, debacle. Oh, that maybe okay. So we were noticing yesterday that there was a lot of stuff that was closed. There's stuff downtown that hasn't reopened yet from the pandemic and the. Uh, Unrest. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I went for a walk downtown today, and I saw boarded up a, a lot of bit. boarded up yeah. a lot of closed things. But I did see, and maybe just the places I was looking at, a lot of closed on Mondays. And I wondered if it was pandemic related. It is. Yeah. There's just not quite enough business to go seven days a week. Mm. You know, and even without the pandemic, a lot of restaurants will be closed Mondays. You know, it's not unusual. Okay, yeah. I was, uh, you know, obviously Sundays, but Mondays seemed different to Sunday's us. Sunday's a big day here. <laughs> For sports and... Just in general. People uh-huh. go out, they drink and they eat. Brunch is huge. Sunday's a big play day around here. Ah, uh, okay. You know, and Monday is too, but it's usually for people in the service industry. Okay. Yeah. Are you originally from Kansas? I'm originally from Kansas, yeah, Wichita originally. Mm-hmm. So we're at Mama's. Mama is your mama. That is my mama. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. It's her picture on the front. Yeah, I turned it into a cartoon and put it on the menu. So when you were growing up, was she, she was making barbecue or she was making sauce, right? You know, uh, mom cooked a lot. She made all kinds of stuff. Um, we had a bunch of different ideas for the name and eventually we ended up I just wanted to honor my mama a little bit. But her, her recipe for the homemade mustard and the bread and butter pickles are from her. And those are key ingredients for us in a lot of the dishes. Did she work in the food world or she just nope. made it? Nope, never, not once. <laughs> wow. Just okay. named it after her to honor my mama, you know. I'm I a think, mama's boy. I think I saw on your website that, um, I guess it was in reference to you, that she used to ship it out in the various places that you live. Yeah, she would always can uh, pickles and mustard and send them to me for Christmas. Um, and I would always run out and try to save it as much as I could because it's delicious. But it, I'd always run out in a couple months. So what ended up happening is we had a food truck to try to start this. And the food truck we bought, we couldn't get it running and up to code. It took actually two years before we were able to get that thing going. Uh, and I had a chef on salary and no place to sell any barbecue so because the food truck wouldn't work. So I had him just making uh, some of my mama's mustard and pickles and just stockpiling jars of it for me. Um, just to give him something to do. <laughs> yeah. But, okay, so when I was reading that, I was thinking, I think I saw, like, you were in Vail... Maybe in, mm-hmm. was Hawaii on that? Yeah, Vail, Honolulu, L.A. Yeah. Is it okay to ask you what you were doing jumping around the world like that? I was a, uh, I was a beach bum. I was a ski bum. 
I was an actor, which means I was a busboy. <laughs> but I moved up in the acting ranks to uh, Barbeck. So Ooh. I was really, I was getting some success there. Ah, okay, okay. <laughs> and so mom making that stuff was a bit of Yeah, care packages. You bet. Something from home. Yeah, a little love. So what did she do outside of... Raising four ridiculous children. <laughs> um, a lot of charity work. Uh, and I get a lot of that from her gardening, cooking. Um, she was a stay-at-home mother for four really busy, really silly kids. Mm. I got into a lot of trouble. So you had no... You don't come from the world of food then either? I do. My dad was in restaurants while I was growing up. Oh, okay. uh, and I was working in restaurants while I was traveling around from fun place to fun place. That's one of the nice things about restaurants. Uh, you can work just about anywhere. Yeah. And I did, and I used it to travel around. It was a lot of fun, and I love serving people, so it was easy for me. Did you ever think of trying to, or maybe you have, make like a line of products from mom, like actually sell the, the pickles we, and the mustard? Yeah, we tried. Oh, really? We tried, and I spent a fortune trying to get FDA approval. Uh, and their website is cannot be navigated really? by anyone ever. It must have been pieced together from seven mm. different systems over 50 different years. And I hired three different people who were experts at getting FDA approval and stuff. For the life of us, we could never get it done. We just couldn't get it. We couldn't fill out the paperwork online ever. That's and nobody could help us do it. I finally just gave up. And you can't, if, once it's canned, I can't ship it across state lines or I can sell it, I can sell it in Kentucky, but I can't ship it anywhere. Well, so then there goes... They're, they're good laws, <laughs> but they're strange and they're hard, to, uh, they're hard to follow. It's almost as if the government doesn't want you to do it. Mm, that's so we find, and we were, listen, we were so busy here at the restaurant, I didn't, at some point, it just wasn't worth it. We had plenty to do already. To, to, to fund that initial food truck, you had a stake in a horse. Can you explain that? Yeah, mucho macho man. I had uh, originally 5%. My buddy gave me 5% of this horse because some of the other horses we were in on together were horrible. And he felt bad about it. And he says, you know what, just take a little bit of this horse. And I did. And they made me sell 2% a week later for a, a nice chunk. And so I had 3% of this horse who went on to finish third in the Kentucky Derby which was amazing, what a, a treat. That was always my dream. Uh, and then uh, he went on to finish second in the Breeders' Cup Classic before winning it the next year. So this horse, and I bet him heavy every time he ran, because I just, you know, I love that horse. And so we took the winnings from, I think, one of the bets on that horse and bought the food truck. And then when we ended up, we started working out of this building here. My buddy owned this bar and he let us work out of his kitchen. And it seemed like every time something broke, the horse would win another race and we'd have enough money to buy some new equipment or something. But Mucho Macho Man, God bless him, uh, and I've got two of his babies now uh, racing. Um, he, he helped us build this place. Yeah, so there's a couple dishes named after him, the Mucho Macho Hot Fried Pickles. <laughs> All right, had, so... We're obviously from New York. Yeah. We have a place called the Aqueduct that yeah. has some... He ran at the Belmont that year, too. Okay, yeah. So uh, I was oh, there for that. It was lovely. I was actually born on Long Island, so yeah. Okay. We have 
those places. And but Saratoga. Don't forget the spa. Okay. Yeah. It's not necessarily like ingrained into New York culture as it is here, right? It's not like it used to be. It used to be huge in New York. Okay. Yeah, I mean, those were legendary tracks. You know, I think earlier in the, the last century, horse racing was immensely popular. You know, you see the stories about Seabiscuit and Secretariat and how they really helped people from all over the country coping with stuff. It was, uh, it was a lot bigger event uh, than it is today, but it's, you know, it's growing again in popularity. And obviously the Kentucky Derby is, is rivaled by very few sporting events as far as having fun. <laughs> is, it, is it all open right now? No, it's not. Um, they are going to have the Kentucky Derby on the first Saturday of May, as they almost always do. Um, this is going to be a little bit limited seating, but there's generally 150 to 170,000 people yeah. on a normal Derby day, and there's 120 the day before for the Oaks, and there's 100 the day before that for Thurby, which is a made-up word and a, a made-up holiday here in Kentucky. Um, so th we can't have that many people that this year. must be a massive... Traditionally, like oh, it's a mat. Oh, it's crazy. Um, kids don't go to school that week. Really, it's just <laughs> no one expects them to. It's just yeah, yeah. There's something else. This is a special event, and it's a two-week event as well. There's there's parades and there's balloon glows and balloon races, hot air balloon races, and there's poker tournaments and there's they have uh, the steamboat races. Like the, I think the, whatever the boat is in Cincinnati comes down and races our steamboat. It's just a bunch of fun. It's a, they have, oh, it's just a whole bunch of fun for two weeks. And this town, if it knows how to do anything, it's, it's have fun. I mean, then the restaurant must be just like booming at that time. Uh, yes, it was, some are, some aren't. We're always really busy and we do a lot of catering for derby parties. A lot of people, a lot of the locals don't go to the derby. They'll stay home and have a party and everybody comes over and they all bet on the horses from their house. Oh. Yeah, and we do a lot of catering for those kind of events. So I, I, I say that about New York to say that um, I don't know a whole lot about that world, obviously. What does it mean to, to have 2% of the horse, almost like a, like a stock? Yeah, exactly like a stock. Sure, yeah. It means if he's got $100 in medical bills, i got to pay two. And if he wins $100, I get two. Well. But is there a market for it, or do you have to know the owner of the horse? To then That's a great question. There, there are now stock. limited partner. There's a couple new deals. There's a lot of limited partnerships, particularly out of New York. There's a group that I don't like, so I won't mention them. <laughs> uh, but they do a great job of introducing people uh, to the game. By you can go in and buy one, two, or three uh, percent. And now they have online. Uh, you can buy micro shares of these horses. And actually, the last horse that won the Kentucky Derby, they offered micro shares. You could buy like maybe a share for a hundred bucks. And you'd have a little itsy bitsy piece, but you still owned part of that horse. And you know what? If you own 1% of a horse, you don't get 1% excited when they win. You're 100% in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you're able to get in for just a little bit and enjoy all the fun for, and it's an expensive game. It's called the Sport of Kings. It's, it's, uh, <laughs> got somebody trying to get in. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, find the other door. Yeah, um, yeah, it's an expensive sport. It's, they say if you want to make a small fortune in the horse racing business, start with a big one. So did, did you then generate enough business through the food truck where you were like, hey, I could jump to brick and mortar? Or? Nope. <laughs> so, no. You're just crazy then. Yeah. 
Um, well, what happened is the, the guy that was running the bar, he went out of business. And ABC, Alcohol Beverage Control, came in and said that either we took over the whole building, took over the whole building, or we were going to lose our ability to sell beer. And so we took over the whole building and rests, as they say, is history. Wow. Yeah, okay. it was an accident. I wasn't trying to get into the barbecue business. So, again, from New York, n- not a town known for barbecue, even though we were chatting before mm-hmm. we were recording about barbecue, because New York has so many transplants, and it's yeah. one of the biggest food hubs and food scenes in the world. But there isn't a New York-style barbecue. Um, as far as I'm aware... I don't think there could be. <laughs> yeah, right. I really don't. East River barbecue. Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. But as far as I'm aware, and I'm probably wrong, there isn't a Louisville style. So is it... Are you there doing- is a Kentucky barbecue. Ah, okay. Um, Moonlight barbecue made um, smoking mutton famous for a long time. No way. Yeah. Yeah, and that's down... Actually, it's, it's uh, down in western Kentucky... Southwestern Kentucky. Uh, yeah, so they were, Moonlight was famous for ages, and it was for smoking mutton, primarily. And they're still around. They've been around forever. So they were known for that. Memphis obviously has their scene. Carolina barbecue, um, Kansas City barbecue. Texas is its own animal right. in barbecue like it is in everything. Uh, but anywhere in beef country, which would be Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas for me, um, you're going to find good barbecue. That's where it started. It was, uh, you know, when you're driving the cattle, it was trail hens that were eating uh, every day or at the end of a, a long cattle drive. That's where the barbecue came from. So are you doing then like Kansas, Kansas City we style? We are absolutely doing Kansas City style. I have stolen as much from them as I'm able. We studied with a, uh, a world champion out of Kansas City. His name escapes me at the moment. But we studied with them, went down there, learned everything we could about Kansas City barbecue. And then I just kind of relied on how I thought it should taste. You know, just from eating all the Kansas City and Texas and Oklahoma barbecue growing up, I had an idea of what it should taste like and what it should look like. And we tried to get as close to that as we could. So for the uninitiated, is Kansas City style like a dry rub? Kansas City style is, is a dry rub, okay? Uh, with, you know, you just take a collection of herbs and spices and rub it on top of the meat before you smoke it. We use hickory. Uh, I'd love to use some apple or some cherry wood for a little flavor, but it's too hard to source in the quantities that we need. Uh, and a lot of, in Texas, you'll get a lot of mesquite, mm. which adds a wonderful flavor, but we can't get mesquite up here, so we don't use it. Um, and sweet and tangy uh, tomato-based barbecue sauces. Ah. You know, some of these other places uh, will have mustard-based or like in Carolina is vinegar-based. Vinegar, yeah. I think Memphis is a mustard-based. Yeah, I actually used to live in Memphis. Yeah. And so it's really nice to have some good barbecue right now because I haven't I'll, been there in a while. I'll tell you, Memphis has great barbecue. Not all these places that are purported to have good barbecue do. But barbecue, uh, I've found it. It's a lot like some of the other fun things in this world. It doesn't have to be really good to be enjoyable. Oh, one of my favorite barbecue spots in Memphis was A&R Barbecue. And it was really 
not well-known sort of hole-in-the-wall um, place, but it was delicious. Oftentimes, South those Memphis, are the best places. Highly recommended. Yeah, what was the, the what's the famous place? Home? Central Barbecue. Central. Well, Central Barbecue is good. I'm not not saying they're not. I yeah. also recommend to go there in Memphis, but A&R Barbecue, if you can find it, definitely <laughs> go. If you can find it. See, that sounds like a good barbecue place yeah. right there. So, okay, the the packaged product business was really difficult to break into. Mm. How difficult was it to break into the food scene here? Like, I would imagine there were already barbecue places. There were not. Oh. Um, I didn't like any of the barbecue that was being served here. I enjoyed some of it uh, because, like I said, even all barbecue is still enjoyable for the most part. It doesn't have to be great for it to be delicious. Um, I didn't feel like we had anybody doing what we were doing when we started. Since then, we've had a lot of national and regional chains come in and try to do what they do best. And, and most of them have come and gone for the most part. Uh, it's a weird thing about barbecue. It's hard to do a chain barbecue. Although some of them are out there and do, do well. It's hard to do. It's such a, there's something about the flavor, the atmosphere. Uh, you need it. Yeah, well, I'll call it out, and it'll be me who said it. But we have a chain in New York that some people love. I, it's, I honestly like kind of find it gross. It's Dallas Barbecue. I don't know if you've ever been there, Liz. <laughs> no. It, it, people mostly go just for like, like it's mixed drinks. But like it is a really popular place with just like really generic, like overly saucy stuff to sort of, yeah. like you were saying before, yeah. hide the mistakes. Yeah. That's a crime in New York. So many local businesses. <laughs> Why do? <laughs> well, yeah, that is true. Um, you know, one thing that again, I'm not from the world of food, but in talking to so many people on the podcast, sourcing is is really important. So, like, how how integral into the food you make is like where you're getting your actual meats from? Well, our our meats we're not far from the meat centers of this country. That's uh, true. We've got the, uh, all the meat plants in Kansas City and Chicago. We're in between those. Uh, Iowa isn't far. Mm. Uh, it's corn-fed beef and pigs and chickens. And obviously, there's a lot of agriculture here in Kentucky as well. So our meat comes from pretty close to us. Okay, okay. That makes sense. Um, I want you to, because we've been, people can't see this, but we've been chatting and... Having some some bourbon here, so I would imagine that in Kentucky, like barbecue and bourbon would have to go hand in hand. Well, <laughs> bourbon goes hand in hand with everything <laughs> in Kentucky. So yes, that's true. Um, would I necessarily drink a? No, I don't know if it goes with the food really. Huh. I have some bourbon afterwards and before, and we have our bourbon slushies, which are good anytime. So I don't, you know. <laughs> Everybody drinks a lot of bourbon around here. It's just a constant. So it's always acceptable. Is that a, a competitive world? The bourbon world? Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. It doesn't... Yeah, and more so all the time. There's so many distilleries. I, I saw the number of distilleries now in New York State, and it is a ridiculous number of people getting into distilling bourbon... And, you know, with bourbon, it has to age in the, in the barrels for so long um, that 
they generally need to do something else while they're waiting for the bourbon to be able, ready to be bottled. Uh, so a lot of times they'll do gin, uh, really popular. Um, and they'll, they'll do some other alcohols while they're waiting for that to go through. But it's an exciting time if you're a bourbon aficionado or connoisseur because they're, they're really they're testing some boundaries. They're using different barrels. They're using old sherry and port barrels to finish off some of these, uh, some of these bourbons, some cognac barrels. Uh, and they're getting some really interesting flavors. They're playing around, uh, and it's, it's fun. If you like bourbon, it's a good time to be drinking it. And it's funny you mentioned New York. Like, I think episode like three that I did like three, four years ago when I first started was a place in Brooklyn. There's a few places in Brooklyn now that are like old, all the old industrial kind of stuff. Yeah. This is actually like where we're staying here. Kind of reminds me a little bit of that. Mm. We mentioned hometown before. That's in Red Hook. And it was all old dock worker stuff that's, you know, dried up yeah. since the 50s and 60s. you need the space. Sure. Yeah. It's perfect for those kind of, it's perfect for a distillery. Yeah. Yeah. Th- those are tough to get open because the government, it costs about a million to open up a distillery. And you, I think you have to put up about half a million just as a guarantee that you've got a half a million to set aside before they'll even let you do it. Mm. Uh, and then, like I said, you have to, you have to wait seven years, give or take, for those bottles, for those barrels to mature. It's a so. <laughs> it's not quite like buying a uh, a, a winery, uh, and it's a little bit more expensive than getting a, your own beer place, you know, your own yeah. brewery. But it can be done, and a lot of people are having fun with it. It's nice. Is beer also big here? It is. It is. But it, we're relatively new to the beer scene. But it's really taken off. I think I just saw something. Somebody had us ranked in the top five for uh, craft beer in the country. There's a ton of good places that are doing really great stuff. Um, I think we've caught up to places like Asheville and some of the places in Colorado a little bit. I think we're finally catching up with the beer scenes in some of those places. Do you have any sense as to why that is? Like, I always wonder why in some places sort of like the artistic and creative hub it's just there. Like, I don't know if it's actual, like, there, there are fewer barriers to entry or something like that. That's or? a great question. One of, the, one of the main reasons for sure is, is cost. Mm. Um, Louisville's a very inexpensive town. Real estate's inexpensive. I mean, the cost of living here, if you're coming from New York, it's free. Yeah. It literally doesn't cost anything to live here. If, if you guys toured one bedrooms here and saw what you would say, this is ridiculous. And you know that translates. If, you, if you're having to pay a lot of rent to open up a restaurant, uh, it makes it tough. But we've got lots of chefs that just open up their own place, small places. They're able to get in on a shoestring budget and make it work. And if they work hard and they do well, um, it grows from there. Yeah, so cost for sure. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah. then I guess there's the familiar symptom then of like trying to prevent, like once a place gets too popular, mm. <laughs> all those costs... Skyrocket. Yeah, we're we're at the beginning of that right now. Ah. For sure. It happened in Nashville, it happened in Austin, Portland, um, all these t- smaller towns where you had that kind of creative energy and the growth that was coming from it. Uh, and then the big boys see uh, see the money to be made, then they come in and buy up the real estate and uh, more people move and then there's traffic and here we are. Time to go someplace else. Yeah. But Louisville, I've been here twenty years. This is this is my favorite city in the country, and I've traveled enough to at least have an opinion. It's a really wonderful place to live. 
Yeah, you know, I had here in my notes, and, and maybe you just, you just said it, so you could just be like, well, I said it. But um, obviously in the, in the collective conscience of people, like Louisville right now is associated with what happened last year with, with Breonna Taylor. It's like if you type in Louisville into Google, like that's like a lot of the stuff that comes up. And it's something that obviously should be talked about, but I don't think it's something that any city would want to be like, well, that's the thing that we're known for. So maybe you hit on it already, but what makes Louisville special to you? Oh, there's so many things. Um, the weather is fantastic. Yeah, that's true. It doesn't get hot here in the summer, despite what they think. It doesn't get cold here at all in the winter, despite what they'll tell you. Uh, there's no wind chill, because there's no wind. It gets down to 32, they start complaining. If there's, We only have two plow trucks for the whole city. Whoa. We don't really get snow. And when we get it, the whole city closes down. Yeah. It's really, really funny. You go to the grocery store, and you'll see 100 people lined up with bread and milk and cereal. Yeah. And you're like, what the hell's going on here? And it's like, oh, no. There must be two inches of snow predicted yeah. for tomorrow. And also, why is that the go-to? Like, what do you need all the milk and cereal for? <laughs> they got, this town got locked inside one year. Now, I was, before I was here, they had a storm that came through and dumped like, I don't know, maybe it was 18 inches or something. And like I said, they don't have any plows. And they, and they can't drive in the snow. The town got shut down for like 10 days. They had to wait for the snow to melt. The whole city shut down. And everybody ran out of food. But that, that actually <laughs> happened to me my first year in Memphis. We had a, a snow <laughs> snowstorm, and it was right after our spring break. So they just gave us the whole week after the spring break off. Yeah. So I had two weeks <laughs> off of work. And, I was, yeah. and I'm from the Poconos originally in Pennsylvania. Right. And so if, it, if it's a foot of snow, we still go to school. Yeah, That's I know. just what you do. <laughs> it's baffling to me, I know. Oh, it was wild. Yeah, it's different here. But I, I don't know what, I, yeah, I guess I just don't want don't know what the trend is of the bread and milk cereal combo, but it, it's universal. It's not just, yeah, just that, here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the weather's great. The park system is great. The fact that people enjoy living here is, I, I can't focus on that enough. Being serene, you know, if you're in a place where everybody hates it, like, oh, this town sucks. There's nothing to do. That's one thing. But the people that live here genuinely love this place. I, I think it's the best kept secret around and uh, I'm enjoying it for as long as I can. Yeah, I mean, obviously I'm not, I won't be shy about saying there's a certain attitude in New York. Um, people are very opinionated. Would you say that here, well, you know, a new business starts up that, that people are pretty supportive? Hard to say. Mm. Yeah, it depends on the business. Okay. Um, if it's a, if it's, we're a little bit cold to people coming from outside. Ah. You know, they think, oh, this is the hot new spot. We're going to go show them how to do it. We're going to open up in their main spot, and we're going to kill it. And they die, and they die quickly. Wow. Yeah, we don't need anybody to come in and show us how to make burgers or teach us how to drink beer. Uh, we're doing just fine on all those things by ourselves. Um, so, yeah, those, those people coming in with other concepts don't do well here. Honestly, I respect that. Yeah, and we don't, I don't think Louisvillians support outside businesses or as, are as accepting of them as other places might be. Now that I think of it as like walking around, we haven't really seen chains. They're here. A lot of McDonald's. Well, that, <laughs> on the drive over here, yeah, every little. Uh, yeah, no, we got ours. Okay. Um, 
in, in talking to, again, a lot of people from food, a lot of people, especially in New York and in Brooklyn, have been really creative uh, during the pandemic because they've had to be to, to survive in, in the food industry. How hard were you guys hit and like, did you have to adapt in any ways? Oh my God, yeah. Obviously, yeah. We got shut down for six to eight weeks. Oh my um, God, completely. Yeah. yeah. They just shut down everything. Um, that was a really, really tough deal. We did the best we could to take care of our people. We paid them an extra couple of weeks' wages before they went on uh, unemployment. Uh, and we were able to keep some people working uh, where we were able. Uh, for the, some, some businesses did okay. Pizza, Chinese food, barbecue, fast food, the places that people are used to taking home with them, carry out, that they're already used to doing that. Um, you know, and every place else was closed. It's the fine dining that died. Uh, nobody goes and, and orders a $40 steak carry out. You know, if you're going to go out and have a steak, you want to sit and enjoy it and have some wine maybe and some dessert, all that stuff. Um, yeah, it was brutal to be sure. And we're still dealing with it. We, uh, we had switched to doing some delivery with the third-party systems, but on average they charge between 25% and 30% of whatever the price is. And we ate that for the first few months, and it killed us because our profit margin's 10 to 12%. So we just got killed on that, but we were trying to keep our workers here and we were uh, trying to keep our customers happy. So we rolled with it, but I'm hoping to cut back on that some because it's killing us. That's a big thing in New York too. It's sort of the Amazon effect where it's like, hey, you could walk a half mile to go pick it up, but you're paying $15 in fees to Seamless. What is that? And, you know, if people want to pay extra for the convenience, that's fine. Um, that's an awful lot though. Yeah. It's an awful lot to pay. I don't know, but it's, it's, it's overall it'll be good for us because we've introduced ourselves to some new customers. Um, and once we get the pricing fixed, if people want to overpay for the food and have it delivered, we'll be happy to help them. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I think that, um, I don't know if it's through like the popularization of food through like a lot of food media, but... There are a lot of people that I've spoken to in New York who are using their position in the food world to align themselves with like some, some really good causes, some really cool causes. You guys are deep into that. And I'm, I'm wondering if you could just talk about what you do and sort of the, the mindset and choice in, in doing this. Funny you should bring that up. Uh, Edward Lee, who is... Yeah, a, I've talked yeah. to them. Yeah, yeah. Edward is, I believe, he's from New York, maybe even Brooklyn, but I won't be quoted. I believe, I believe he is. Yeah. yeah, he is an absolute unbelievable chef. Uh, he's got restaurants here, one in Cincinnati, I think Succotash, in uh, Washington D.C. Uh, fantastic chef, wonderful guy. Uh, he actually comes in here from time to time get the beef ribs. Um, they switched all of their kitchens to serving meals to people that were out of work. Uh, and out of money during the pandemic, they served literally millions of meals through their program. It became a national program. We do something a little bit different. We, we give 2% of all of our sales to six different Louisville charities. So that it's just 2% of all sales go to, for us. That's about 80 grand a year that we give to these six charities. And we have people go online to vote for which charity they think it should go to. And we kind of distribute the funds based on the votes. 
Um, now, it's, it, that program's been great for us as well as the charities. Um, you know, the restaurants get hit up for donations and gift cards for every event, every birthday, every charity, mm. everything there is in the city. It's like, oh, let's go to our favorite restaurant, see if they'll give us a gift certificate. So we're fielding these questions all day, and it takes a lot of time and energy to... This way, we just bundle everything we've got and put a lot into it, into just these six charities. Some of them are to help people that need food. Some are there for the environment. We've got a couple of those, one, one for the parks, some for kids. Uh, so we cover a broad area, Special Olympics. I love those guys. Um, so we, there's some really great groups, and we're proud to support them, and it helps us... Uh, in a number of different ways too. So self-serving, but I'm really proud of that. We've Since we've been open, we've uh, raised and distributed nearly half a million. And there's some, there's some good that's been done with that for sure. Those that, are great groups. Yeah, it's amazing. And we, we travel a lot, we go to a lot of cities and more and more you're seeing um, what some people call like tent cities and like mm -hmm. a lot sure. of people in need. Is there a lot of that here? No. Not a lot, but always too much, obviously. Yeah, right. And um, too much. There yeah. are some homeless encampments, uh, and it's it's a tough deal. You know, I, I, mental illness is, I think, mostly the problem, whether it's masked in other things as well or not. But it's, you know, we're sending our police to deal with these problems, and they're not trained or equipped to do it. Uh, it's a it's a tough deal. I don't have any solutions on that for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and but we don't we don't. It's not, it's not really much of a problem here. Okay. There's warmer places to be homeless. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I thought I saw this on your website. Were you guys on diners, drive-ins, and dives? We absolutely were on diners, drive-ins, and dives. And that episode still shows up every once in a while. And some nice, like, why are we this busy on a Tuesday? And it's because it was just on the day before. And we get a huge pop from it. And we get lots of people... Traveling down on their way to the Gulf from like Michigan, Chicago, Minnesota, they'll stop in. It's a good lunch spot. There's people that go to all of the Triple D restaurants. Mm -hmm. Anytime they go to Newtown, they go to the restaurants to check them out. And they're usually really, really good. I mean, they they kind of, uh, they figure out which of the places are are good. And that's who they feature for the most part. So I would, I'd feel comfortable going to any of the Triple D restaurants that have been on there. But that was a lot of fun. So they just reached out to you and they're like, hey, we'd like to come by and feature you. They, well, they reached out and they interviewed us and talked to us a little bit to make sure they hadn't made a mistake, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I was on the fence about whether or not to do it because I'm an idiot. That was so good for us and helped us so much. Uh, I'm grateful to, uh, I'm really grateful for that. He's been really great to small businesses. I wish. Actually, during this pandemic, God. right? Didn't he give away like quite a bit of money and support? Can you imagine going around from town to town and three small businesses at a time. You turn their fortunes around overnight. The busboys make more money. The waitstaff makes more money. You have to hire more people for the kitchen. Everybody makes more money. The owner makes more money. To leave a, a wake of success in small business behind you, like Guy Fieri's done, I can't think of a more rewarding way to spend uh, your your work life. I'll, I was going to make that point exactly. Like, Listen, being from New York, he's he's New York has a has an ego problem, and so he's not always looked at 
as the coolest guy, right? And oh, he got torn to pieces with his restaurant when it opened up. The reviews very ill-fated. If you didn't torch him in the reviews. You'd have gotten torched, right? And one of my heroes, honestly, is Anthony Bourdain. I gush about him all the time on here. Wasn't so kind about um, Guy Fieri's image, but a hundred percent. Like I think we're like all in agreement here. First of all, pandemic aside, like he raised a, I think it was millions. But yeah, featuring only small businesses in places that possibly like aren't very popular. I think the pandemic has showed people like all these other jobs that are connected to food and putting in a good word can make all the difference in people's lives. He's changed a lot of lives with his show. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you'll never hear me say anything bad about that guy. Yeah, that's really cool. But he started when he's when they started filming, and I might have had a couple bourbons before it started. Of course. Um, and he starts off by, I think the first thing he said was, "So, so you guys smoke horses? What kind of rub do you use?" He said something like that. I was like, "Oh my God, did he just <laughs> did he just talk about barbecue and horses?" Like, no, stop, stop, cut. That's it. We, you can't say something like that. You're gonna get me killed. Talking about barbecue and horses he, ma- he was making a joke? Yes, he was making a joke, but you can't make that oh, joke. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I think Ikea sells horse meat. I'm mortified. But... I never watched the... I didn't ever watch the episode. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You've never seen it? I haven't actually seen it. No. I don't want to see myself on there. Yeah. But I hear it was lovely. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay. You have two locations now. Hmm. Um, what's, like... Do you think about the future? What's what's the next project? Or we'll probably open another one. Uh, we'll probably open another one. Uh, I've got some people I want to take care of. Some people have been with us for a long time. Are going to get some ownership, uh, and I want to raise some more money for charity. My goal is a million, uh, and I've got some other goals. Uh, and like I said, I like serving people. Uh, we've got a million people in this city, more or less, uh, if you count everybody on the outskirts, and I. I want them all to be able to get some of my barbecue if they want some. So yeah, we're still we're still moving and growing. Yeah. Well, every business starts somewhere. Is is there the potential to move out of city, out of state, to expand that way? Not for me. I'm too lazy. Uh-huh. Um, but if anybody's out there listening and wants to open a good barbecue place somewhere else, call me. I'll hook you up. It won't cost you anything. We'll get you going. But yeah, I'm not doing it. I'm about done. It's funny because I was thinking about this. The last episode I did was with this uh, organization in New York called the Coffee Project, and they're incredible. They're like they. I think they are the only like coffee education program in New York City. Nice. Where they teach about roasting and and flavors and aromatics, and it's incredible. And at the end of like they've worked so hard from scratch. Again, like self-taught, self-made. And I'm an idiot. At the end of this episode, I'm just like, so what's next? And they're like, nothing, we're happy, dude. Yeah, we and did. It's like, yeah. why, why is my mindset always more, 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 more? Westernization. Yeah, it's, it's like, uh, it's very, uh, I guess, like uh, capitalism uh, minded, but yeah. Well, I mean, if you, if you can do it, why wouldn't you? I've got some other things I want to do, but yeah. But I guess maybe you're thinking even like teaching. Right, passing on what you've learned from business, from barbecue to someone else, even if it doesn't mean you yourself are expanding. No, yeah, I'd love to. Listen, I'd, I would kind of like to be able to... Honestly, I'd like to be able to help people become restaurant owners. 
Um, that would that would give me the greatest personal satisfaction. But that's so hard. It's so hard to judge who's going to be able, who can work in a restaurant, and who can't. To some extent, you either got it or you don't. It's like stand-up comedy. You can't teach someone how to be funny. Mm. You can give them ideas, but you can either go up there and do it or you can't. There's not a lot of in between on that one. Um, practice helps, but yeah, yeah. So it's, it's it's just so hard to judge. I don't know. I'd be willing to help anybody that wanted to learn. That's for sure. And I'm hoping that some of my people go on to do their own things as well. But the ones that stay will end up, hopefully they won't listen to this, but if they stay long enough, they'll probably end up getting some ownership here too. I overlooked one thing that we were chatting about on the way over here that I forgot to ask you. Um, and then, you know, I'll wrap this for you. But how, how does one get the title of pitmaster? You know what? That's a... Uh, that's a well-earned title that doesn't really exist anymore. You used to be able, you used to have to keep the fire at different temperatures in different parts of the grill, okay? Because things were cooking and finishing at different temperatures. And generally it was an open fire over charcoal or wood. Um, these days it's, it's gas. I mean, we're smoking with wood, but the heat is controlled by gas and computers. So, I mean, in our rotisserie smoker, the, the temperature doesn't change. There are some spots that are less hot than other spots that if you were the pit master, you would need to be aware of. But originally, you'd be cooking on two or three different heats on one fire across a big grill. And if you didn't know what you were doing, uh, if you were not a master, you could easily mess up a lot of, a lot of meat. I have a hard time grilling hamburgers. So those, those <laughs> old pit masters that would feed hundreds of people a night on that one three-tiered fire. Those guys were amazing. And that's one of the reasons there, there weren't more barbecue places before. I expect to see an explosion of barbecue over the next 10, 15 years. There's a lot of places that have horrible barbecue and are just dying for a place. And now you don't need a pit master. Uh, it's, you just, yeah, the machines take care of it. There's, there's, it's changed a whole bunch, but those guys were amazing, and you could only get that good by being over that fire for years. It's like the title of Jedi. It was. A, they, <laughs> they were barbecuing Jedi's without a doubt. Wow. Yeah, for sure. I think that's fair. The Jedi might disagree. That's cool. Well, obviously, we will uh, be telling everyone to come check this place out. Um, so, Voyagers, don't forget to tell them to come see the original Bob Ross painting. Some happy trees, that's right. We have, honest to goodness, happy trees downstairs by the bar. Oh, we have to see that before we go. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even notice that. <laughs> bourbons and a Bob Ross. And a happy what else do you need? Wow. Um, so you can go to the show notes in whatever app you're listening to. There'll be a direct link to the website and the Instagram so you can see what's going on um, and find the address and all that stuff. Thank you so much for the food and the bourbon and, and the chat. This is a, a real honor and a pleasure. So thank you. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you. That's a wrap on episode 212 of the Voyages of Tim Vetter podcast. Thanks so much to Chad for doing this episode. Thanks to Les for co-hosting. You will likely hear more of her over the next couple of episodes. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm so happy to be in Kentucky and to be on the road. We're doing a lot of cool stuff over the next couple of weeks. So 
Stay tuned, keep listening, subscribe, like, rate, review, tell a friend, and there will be much, much more to hear very soon. Okay, folks, as always, thank you for listening, and please, please, please take care of each other. Catch you very soon.